Welcome to Cardi in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Wolf. <laughs> we, we are wrapping up the month of I've Always Loved a Good Number Two with the movie that you know we were going to do. And quite honestly, the whole month was built around doing this movie. Right. We've talked about it for so long and we've talked about it. You know, don't talk to me. You mentioned Greece. I'm going to say, I'm going to give you 10 reasons why this movie is better than it. I'm just going to say reproduction when you talk to me about Greece. Reproduction. <laughs> there's like, there's like, that's a great thing about this movie. There's like three or four songs that if this movie had been bigger, like it should have been. And if, and if people were more well-versed in Michelle Pfeiffer, because she was so new to the scene, I think that th there's like three songs in this that would have been singles, just like Summer Nights was, just like You're the One That I Want was. And was, I mean, was, was I guess, you know, Hopelessly Devoted to You was kind of like the Grease third Lightning. single. But I don't think, was Grease Lightning end up being a single? Yeah. I don't remember. It got, but that's the thing that... Well, they the, the Frankie Valley song was an add-on. They they slapped right, that on, right? Because that was not part of the original only. Broadway musical part of at all. The musical. No, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's like one or two songs that are like that. That you know, I think it was Barry Barry Gibb in producing that record, right? I think he wrote those. Yeah, wrote it's, those it's a B, songs. yeah, dude. It's it's, it's a Bee Gees. Yeah. Basically, it's a Bee Gees song with Frankie Valley. <laughs> right. It's very. I mean, the whole thing is the the, the original movie is very much. I've always felt that way too about it because it's, it's a double record. It's like the first record was like the newer songs and the old, like the newer songs from like, uh, um, well, actually the first three sides, right? Sides A, you know, a B, and C were all like well, newer songs. Yeah, they're all like most of them are Sha Na Na songs from the dance sequence. Right. Well, no, that, that would be the the D side, the final side. I think that's the one, or maybe it was the C and D side that I think was it's, all. It's it was all OG it's songs. It's almost all right. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and it's they're all covers by Sha Na Na. Yeah, even if yeah, I think they're just used in the movie. But why are we talking about Greece when we should be talking about? I'm Greece just too? saying. But my point was being is like this movie, Greece Two, doesn't have any songs that existed before this movie. Everything in this movie is new, and that's another one of the reasons why to me it stands out more than. The original, they, they, they had, were they, the, the original Broadway musical of Greece came out in 71. So they had a lot of years of honing in and making it sound good. And of course they spent a lot of time rehearsing leading up to that release. So all the songs in this, I think a lot of, for a lot of people, that's, that was a the troubling part about this movie was you didn't bring back any of the original main cast. You brought back teachers, you brought back principals, you brought back Frenchie, you brought back Frenchie. <laughs> Who gets kind of shoehorned in there at the beginning, and you see her one other time. And as you noted, when before we got on mic, she never shows up <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Eugene is a carryover, of course. Uh, Sid Caesar's a carryover. Well, there's a teacher that has a mental breakdown at the very beginning of the movie. <laughs> Mr. Spears, he's actually a carryover from the first movie, but he played a different teacher, which I thought was didn't make a whole lot of sense. But anyway, we don't have Danny. We don't have Sandy. What do we have in this? Well, the, we, we have a gender swap. First of all, yes, we don't have a female that's new to the school. We have, we have Michael Carrington. This is Michael Carrington day. Damn it. Michael Carrington. We got Michael Carrington played by Maxwell Caulfield coming in playing Olivia Newton-John essentially. And she's, he's playing Olivia Newton-John's cousin, Sandy's cousin in this. Right. And that's, that's the first time we meet Frenchie. She's there to welcome him to Rydell yes. High. Welcome to Rydell High, Michael. And right away you're like, oh, he's a big square like Sandy was. Well, that's what they want you to think. But I right. mean, it's funny because don't you feel like he's 
far more hip than Sandy. I mean, oh you know, yeah. I mean, they try to make it. They try to make it bad because he he knows Shakespeare. It's so weird, man. Yeah, like you're smart. You're an idiot. <laughs> right. You're not cool. That's the thing with Sandy. They, they didn't. They never leaned on the nerdy part of of the way they lean on Michael's nerdiness. They they lean on her just being a goody two shoes. Right. And and her contrasted against the pink ladies and how they're a little more uh, promiscuous, if you will. Speaking of uh, sex, ding. Uh, <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Is far not. It's not our suggestive. It this, everything about this movie is about sex. You got parts of it in the original movie that are about sex. Everything about this movie is sex driven. Everything, every song. I was. I would say this movie is like every theater production I was ever in. Musical theater production. Literally, what is going on in this movie is really what happens during the production. <laughs> everything you're seeing is what's happening behind the scenes in every musical ever performed. Right. And that's what I love about the focus of the doing the big show too, and how much the movie takes place in the theater in this movie. I thought that was really clever. This movie, like I said, it's all about sex and the choreography. There's a considerable amount of dancing in this movie, like as expected. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, Totally. I, there's way more dancing in this movie than there is in the first one. Oh yeah, for sure. Not only, not only is there more, more dancing, but there's more dancers. Quite, I mean, it's like quite a production. It's first time director Patricia Birch, who is known for her choreography. She of course worked on the first movie, as well as a ton of other stuff. But she, you know, she started her career on stage way back doing West Side Story in 1960. So she's this is something that's been around for a long time. For the amount of dancing in this, she was the perfect choice for it. Oh, yeah. And she just let everybody kind of do their own thing, which I thought was fucking so cool, is that they went for a true musical, almost like a shot for film musical, as opposed to taking a, a, a play and adapting it as a film. There's far more, like, it's far, there's far less dialogue in this movie than the first movie. Oh I, yeah, man. There's there's just enough dialogue in this movie to get you to the next song. It's it's a true. It's I mean it's a straight up musical. Yeah, it's funny because the other one was a musical first, right? But the movie <laughs> version, it's funny. Like the first time I'd ever seen the musical Grease was long after I'd seen the movie oh, yeah. Grease when I was a kid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like I'm like, where? Well, where's all the? You know, I mean, all the stuff that I was missing when I saw the musical. Well, there's all this stuff that's only in the movie. So right. this, and, but this, this is just a straight musical. There's enough dialogue to get you to the next song and dance. Right. And in this one, like we mentioned, we already mentioned Maxwell Caulfield and the Danny Zuko of the movie, his love interest is played by Michelle Pfeiffer, who is very, very early in her career. Very, at the very beginning of it. Right. Right before Scarface. Right before Scarface. And, there's there's moments in here, and, and we kind of talked a little bit about this moment where she and Maxwell Caulfield are sitting in a diner together, and he's kind of helping her with a with a paper that she didn't do very well on Shakespeare, Hamlet, and and at this time, this thing I didn't talk to you about when she talks to him when she's talking about Hamlet and what's going on with him, and then she leads that into talking about the cool writer that she is now infatuated with this mystery motorcycle writer, which we. Just throughout the movie, we're just, we know the path of this cool writer's mystery motorcyclist is Michael Carrington himself in disguise trying to woo her. And he's doing a great job of it. When she's talking about this mystery motorcyclist, 
She sounds exactly like Alicia Silverstone's share in Clueless. Now that I've said that, watch Clueless again when he's, she's talking. It's, it's weird. I point out the melody and she goes, you're right. It really, and I'm, it makes me wonder if, if Amy Heckerling had Alicia Silverstone watch those moments because of course, later on, she came back and did another movie with Paul Rudd called I Can Never Be Your Woman in 2007. Oh yeah. Right, 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 right. Yes. Which I never heard about and I watched it and it's Amy Heckerling. So it's fucking rad. Seek it out if you haven't seen it, by the way. Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer plays a, a showrunner on a TV show and it's really good. Anyway, so, but Michelle is so young in this. I mean, so what is she at that point? She's- 22? 22? 22? Yeah, yeah. so it, she's a few years older than Alicia Silverstone was at that point, but she has this innocence, even though she's a pink lady and she's the leader of the pink ladies, she has a certain innocence in this. And you only see that when she's with Michael. She kind of lets her guard down around him. And there's something I noticed about the whole movie, even though she, even before Cool Rider shows up, she's eyeing him. Oh, yeah. Like when they're doing reproduction, when the song reproduction comes on, she's eyeing him. Well, she's already kissed him at that point at the bowling alley. Right, right. I mean, dude, look at the guy. He looks like a fucking teen model. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, dude. He's a handsome he's the hardest thing for me to be- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, The hardest thing for me to believe is that all the pink ladies didn't try to jump him the moment he fucking showed up at school. Like when Frenchie introduced him, their stupid code. They're all kind of hot for him. Pam Adlon, though, she was like <laughs> the 15-year-old. Yeah, right? She's like, oh, you know, I can get on that. I'm not a pink lady. Uh, <laughs> uh, when they step outside of, after they're having their little uh, exchange and tutor session at the cafe and they're outside the cafe, she's already had two cool writer moments at this point, right? And she's being super complimentary to him, which she was still doing inside the cafe. And now she's like saying to him, hey, you know what? Any girl would be lucky to have you. Well, what about you? And then the way she responds to him saying there's a pink lady code, it's like the way she says it, like she's already thought about it. Like she, Coach mode. Like she knows. Like, like I still think she knows it's him the whole time. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, he asked her like that when they're in chemistry class, when they show up. When was, Stephanie, when's the last time you read a Superman comic? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I go, man, could they have said Batman? That would have been fucking cooler, dude. But, you know, but I get the whole thing because that was always, that's always the top, the topic. How can nobody tell that's Clark, Clark Kent is yeah, Superman? Yeah. Gla- and you know, he's wearing goggles instead of glasses. But yes. But he's more like Batman in this because you only see, well, you know, just because he's wrapped in leather. And he's got a helmet on, so you can't see his hair either. But anyway, well, doesn't he matter. also could be mistaken for Super Dave at that point. <laughs> so here it is, just like with the first movie, the, the T Bird and Pink Lady's code is keeping them separated. But I don't remember the, the code work. See, I think it's a double standard. I don't remember. Oh, it no, that's exactly to keep that. Was, t- that's where I was going. T Birds yeah. could date anybody they want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dan, Danny, dude, ditches his leather jacket, gets a Letterman sweater. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's been cruising her all summer. Right. And then there's a moment in this, too, right after the T Birds and the rest of the pink ladies roll up after after the gas, you know, the, the gas station pickup, and, and it's their, they had their whole night. And the, and all these, these, uh, this montage of them, you know, by basically telling us they've been screwing the entire time that they've been, uh, been away from the gas station. <laughs> There's more life Dude. than just making out. I'm going to put those screenshots in the Patreon show notes because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> all right. Did I say this movie's about fucking? <laughs> because it is. 
the whole entire movie. It, no, not yet. What is it about again? Fucking. I thought it was about high school kids. <laughs> yeah. So it's about screwing all time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, dude, some of the so the songs in this are so much fun. Oh, dude, just, yes, yes, like all of them. You know, like you talk about the pinnacle of the movie. Like everybody knows Cool Rider. If you know the movie, you know Cool Rider. But even Prowlin's a kind of a fun standout. It's a kind of a you know again another one of those performances that takes place in, in the theater. They eventually worked that they they hadn't. It's funny because the T birds haven't figured out what they're going to do in the show yet, and their frustration of not getting laid ends up leading them to come up with what they're the song they're going to sing during the show. I thought that was clever. But that what just before that moment when they have that when they have their when they perform Prowlin, uh, Stephanie and Michael get back from the their motorcycle jaunt. He takes off. You got Nagarelli. You have Adrian's bad getting all up in her ass. And at this point, he's with Lorna Left. He's with Paulette Rebchuk, you know, who's the yeah. the blonde bombshell right. in this. And she looks fucking great. The I mean, Marty Maraschino, if yes. you will. I know a lot of people had a Michelle Pfeiffer crush from this movie. Lorna Left was it for me, dude. I just, oof, God. <laughs> What's funny about it is like once the girls run off and they're kind of getting shit from the ladies, they immediately turn around and start walking like, let's go to the grocery store and get, and get laid. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, it's, it's what we were talking about before. It's very much how Danny was in the first movie. He's just kind of like, I'm going to do it here. I want to get, you know, to have sex. Right. I don't care. Double standard through and through. It didn't matter. <laughs> so it's one thing that's consistent. Rydell high and double standards. That's just a consistency between the two movies. Yes, exactly. But lean back on the songs. Yes. Reproduction. Great standout. Cool writer. Again, that's another reason why, like we talked about before, of why the movie, this is a true musical. The songs aren't just there. They're they're just dialogue being being presented melodically. Right. That's a true musical. And that's how this movie is. I mean, one of the things about this movie, you know, th there's some inspired casting choices here. You know, yeah. we, yes, we bring back Eve Arden. We bring back Sid Caesar. But... New people we added, Tab Hunter and yes. Connie Stevens. Yes. Who yes. totally, I mean, this movie to me is a whole, like on a whole nother, like where Greece was trying to be kind of a real, this, like you said earlier, this has a, the whole movie has a very John Waters-y kind of vibe yes. to it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, like there were two musicals when I was, the, like when I was, the summer when I was 12 was this. And best little whorehouse in Texas. So, what are both of them about? <laughs> right. Fucking. Yes. Right? You know, you're going to have a good time at Miss Mona's, and obviously you're going to have a good time at Rydell High. There's lots of casting choices that we've been talking about in this movie. You don't know the names of the characters because you usually don't say them. Again, I, as much as I brought this movie, for me to say I've seen this movie more than 25, 30 times, that would, you know, you probably doesn't sound foreign to you. First time ever. The girl that missed her last two periods after they do reproduction. Yeah. And and Eve Arden says, you can make them up later. Janet Jones. Lady Gretzky. Is it three years before? Yeah. Flamingo Kid, five years before American Anthem. So, right, because it was closer to Andy's, you know, solo record, Andy Taylor's mm -hmm. solo record. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah, there's so many. That's another thing, too. This is one of those movies, like, when you used to watch the original 90210 and then five years later, you're starting to see all those people that, that guested on an episode. They started showing up because it was it was a platform thing. And a lot of people in this movie got elevated visibly for it. It doesn't matter that the movie didn't do as well. I mean, not, I mean, not, it, it was definitely considered a failure. 
but it found its way onto HBO. And that's probably where I saw it more than anything, any place else. And to the point where it was on all of the time. Do <laughs> right. Like my friend, Michelle, who works, works in the art department in new Orleans. Um, when we were doing unhinged, Michelle, she's in a band and she's a drummer but she's got a great singing voice. Dude, she knew the entire soundtrack by heart. And she's probably 15, 16 years younger than us. She knew it from watching it on HBO when she was a little kid with her mom. And she knew every, she knew, she, she would sing the entire soundtrack from beginning to end, like while during a work day. You know, we would just turn the radio off and let Michelle sing. Like, you know, people were just like, oh, she's not going to stop. Just turn the radio off and let her do her thing. But like, she had a great voice, but she like literally knew every song and in order, soundtrack order. Yeah. That's another thing too, is not unlike Grease, they go in chronological order of the movie, but because the, 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 the lyrics are far more integrated as scripted dialogue in melodic form, that's why this, why the songs mean so much more. They carry the movie that's why the songs stand out so much. And sometimes some of the songs seem like they're maybe throwaways, but they're not throwaways. They're just, again, they're, have you ever seen a musical where every song was great? And they're not, you get that. It's rare. There's always like 15, 20% of it is, Hey, look, we got to get from a to B it's a musical. So we have to do it in, <laughs> in sing song form. So we need to make this song. You get that a few times in this, but, the, the standout songs in this, like you noted, are so great. I mean, and I know by heart, Melody's like looking at me like while I'm singing every song and she goes, I can't believe you know this song, this album, that, that this movie that well. And I'm like, yeah, I was fucking 13 when it came out. How would I not? Look, there's like two or three um, women in this that are completely like, you can, you can tell when some people don't, some women don't understand the mind of a teenage boy <laughs> and, yeah. and how influential right? certain movies are at a certain age. Yeah. Grease 2, Best Little House in Texas. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm saying no more. Oh, uh, and, and like we were, we were talking about this being 1982 and we started off this series with a movie from 1982. We mentioned TJ Hooker and and this is also a big gift for Adrian's bed. This was a breakout movie. This movie should have been big for everybody because of how big, even if they did half the business the original did, this movie should have done 75, $80 million. Dude, Shooter McGavin too, right? Yes. Come on. Chris McDonald. <laughs> Chris McDonald. Looking like Joe Piscopo. <laughs> right. And that's the only way you know it's not Joe is because he's like, he's way too tall to be Joe. But yeah, exactly. he looks just like him. You, It's hard not to... It's easy to lean on that and go, wow, it really kind of looks like him, doesn't it? Yeah, it's weird to see Shooter that young. Because for most of us, didn't get introduced to him for, like, for another 10 years. At minimum, like, you right. sort of seen like, him in more it's things. It's funny, man. Like For me, the standout thing, well, he'll always be Shooter McGavin, no matter what he does right. from now on right. or what he did before. You know, I didn't even remember that he was in Greece too. Oh yeah. Like I had to literally, I saw the first time I was like, I was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> and I was like, is that, you know, who else I think is in this? And he's in the, he's in the background. Do you remember we got it made? Like he's in surf too. Yes. But he was in, he was in, we got it, uh, we got it made with Terry Copley and, um, isn't he the Matt. guy in the green suit singing at the end? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, when when he's like, and he also he's in something else too. When he's like, he's like a Tom Hanks, like Bizarro World, Tom Hanks. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If if Mattel made a Tom Hanks doll, this is that. This is the uh, the pick and save knockoff. This is a knockoff. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Pick and save knockoff. Yeah. And he's super funny in it because he's got and he's got one of the funnier moments in the movie too, because it's so isolated and he's in this ridiculous green suit performing this this doo-wop song with this just overemphasizing all of his lyrics and his and his and his physical actions. And of course, this is when Paulette stands up for herself and getting bullied around all the time by Johnny. She pushes him out. Tom Villard. We have to say his name. Sorry. It's Tom Villard. Yeah, there you go. Tom Villard. The song he performs is called Cry, <laughs> which is a perfect doo-wop song, right? In the movie, he plays uh, a greaser named Willie, which I thought was kind of funny. But this is when Paulette pushes him, pushes Adrian's bed on the stage, and he's kind of standing there trying to act cool. <laughs> And while he's trying to send her out, cool, our man, our man Tom Villard's got a hold of his leg. Like, don't leave me on stage, man. Don't leave me by myself. Because I'm, I don't know, was, was it weird that he was doing that? Don't leave me by myself. Almost like he was, like he was bailing, like he was failing, like he was bombing on stage. But the girls were screaming for him. Right. I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I've, <laughs> there's a lot of wild kind of funny, there, there's just, there's, it, I would almost say there's, this is the kind of movie you could watch 10 times and, f- and you'd find somebody out like dude, Eddie Deason, right? Like, right. Who's a staple of all teen movies yeah. at this time. Good or like he, Eddie, Eddie Deason in surf too as well. Yes. And he, and he, and he was one of the, the like what, eight, seven, seven or eight that came back from the original Greece. He's in this. But, uh-huh. and, I, and, I, right. and I don't remember him having, he did again, Speaking of dialogue, he speaks a lot more in this than he does. Oh, he's got more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got way more dialogue in this than he had yeah. in Greece. I mean, I think he had one line in Greece. Right. Oh, and we can't go without mentioning Craterface. Dude, <laughs> yes. Like I was going to say, the guy who looks like a 40-year-old guy terrorizing high school right? kids. And he looked old he looked like the first 40, movie. He looked 40 in Greece. Yeah. yeah. Now he looks 45. When Balmuro and his and his guys are lip syncing. Right. Is it just me or do the other guys have no idea what the song lyrics are? No idea, dude. They're not even close. <laughs> their, their mouths aren't even synced up. That's what's so funny about it. Right. And he's and he's perfect. He's dead on. He knows the song because he's he's actually was in a booth singing. Yeah. Like I texted you, I always owned, there was a part of me that just wishes that was Willem Dafoe and the bars right? that rolled up on outside the bowling alley, right? When they show up. So perfect. I know this movie gets dumped on. And for a lot of reasons, like with Scary Movie 2, like we mentioned, I, I, I sometimes feel like, man, you're, I think a lot of people dump on this movie without ever seeing it because of the notoriety or just poor word of mouth. Yeah. And I don't think that's fair. Look, the movie had its faults. Don't get me wrong. Every movie's got its faults. And are we more married to this because we were kids? Look, we've covered plenty of movies where when we were kids that we were in love with, revisit it now in our, <laughs> our, our current age. And we're like, yeah, those that didn't work. That doesn't work anymore. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. It doesn't hold up. But this movie's fun. It's still fun then. It's fun now. Right. To be reminded too about my infatuation with Lorna left in this. <laughs> It's like, hey, uh, it never went away. It's like I'm 13 again. There's, like I said, or there's moments where you catch, like the light catches it and she's like, and she looks like Liza Minnelli with blonde wig and with blonde hair. It's it's so bizarre because she doesn't look like Liza Minnelli. No, that's what's really weird. There's just moments the camera catches like a certain angle or it's, you know, the way she's lit or like when she laughs and it hits the, you know, it, I was like, holy shit. Because I didn't realize you know, I, I, I think I probably knew that they were half sisters, 
But right. I, not until I looked it up because I've kept going, why does that girl look like fucking Liza Minnelli? And I'm like, oh, that's why. Right. The other boy greaser with Tom Villard yeah. is director Andy Tennant. Yes. I was going to mention that too. How weird is that, right? Yeah. And he was a carryover from the first movie. Yeah. Um, he, he was a greaser in that as well. And you guys, you're familiar with Andy Tennant's work. He did It Takes Two, right? Mm-hmm. He did Fool's Rush In with Matt Perry. Yep. And in The King, dude. And in King is, is a, I know that movie kind of gets dumped on, but I enjoyed that quite a bit. Speaking of musicals being made into a feature film. Dude, he directed Hitch and Sweet Home Alabama too. And um, and the Drew Barrymore Cinderella movie. Yeah. After, yeah. Uh, ever, ever after. That's what it was called, right? Ever after? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the way, he worked with a lot of people from Friends. <laughs> I didn't plan that out. It's weird. When I saw him in this, I'm like, wait, is that Andy Tennant? I'm like, oh my God, it is. Speaking of the cast in this, and we already talked about, we, you know, we, we were ad nauseum the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer's in this, we leaned quite a bit more on, on Maxwell Caulfield. The Maxwell Caulfield was supposed to be like the next, you know, John Travolta. He was supposed to be like the next Richard Gere, as I was reading about. <laughs> he said in an interview, like when Grease 2 flopped, as his words, He's like, nobody would touch me. It felt like a bucket of cold water had been thrown in my face. It took me 10 years to get over Grease too. 10 years. Dude, he had to go right. I mean, literally he had to go right from playing Michael Carrington to playing another Carrington on Dynasty. <laughs> right. And then he did the spinoff, the Colbys. So he's like, you know, you know speaking of, the, the, there's lots of people that were tied to Aaron Spelling and not surprising consider Aaron Spelling's ties with Paramount and Paramount Television. So no, so again, no surprises people that were in movies like this were also in his productions as well. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I always liked Caulfield. I mean, I, I remember the only other movie I remember from this time period was boys next door, the Penelope Spheris uh, right. film, him and Charlie Sheen running around beating up people <laughs> kind of on a killing spree in Los Angeles. It was right. weird to see him go from Greece to, to like that being the next movie I saw him. And I was like, what the fuck? Roy. <laughs> right. It's, here's one. Here's what I thought was really funny. Since we're talking about casting, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer was up for you know the role of Stephanie Zanoni and you saw the, some of the people that, that were up for the part too. Right. Lisa Hartman. Yeah. You know, you know her as, as Clint Black's wife. Where the boys are 84. Um, Chrissy McNichol, Andrew McCardle. Now Andrew McCardle, and you had to think the only reason she was considered was because, well, she was a singer. She was a Broadway singer. But we're talking about the original Annie here. How how weird would that have been trying to see her in a sexualized role like that? That would have been really bizarre for people, I think. Right? Super bizarre. And, of course, Pat Benatar was probably the biggest name that was uh, being considered for the role of of Stephanie. Now that's a whole different movie, dude. Cause yes. can you imagine those songs being belted out by Pat Benatar? Right. <laughs> like see the only person that would be challenging Lauren left for the best singer on the show. That's for sure. And I thought that was funny too. Cause Pat Benatar was so just blown up like a, she was like the biggest female pop singer at that point. Oh dude. Right. Yeah. How many times is it mentioned in Fast Times and how many lookalikes are in Fast Times? There's three, right? How many right? Benatar girls? So yeah, are there three <laughs> three Benatar lookalikes? Yeah. yeah I'm going, again, we're going on based on nearly 40 years. I wanted to point that again. So here we are doing the 39th anniversary of a movie just like we did three episodes ago. This movie is going to be 40 years old next year. And so we have 40 years of... You know, some of us see this movie once a year. Some of us haven't seen it. I watch this movie probably once a year, maybe a couple times a year. Can you picture anybody in this movie 
anybody else playing these characters. I can't. But there was one exception. <laughs> there was one exception to it. One of the pink ladies in this, Allison Price has, you know, she's like talking about getting a nose job because they got these glasses on her to make her nose look bigger and everything like that. I was thinking to myself going, because we just play this game once in a while. We don't always put it in the show, but like, you know, alternate casting. Who could you see? Because I'm so married to everybody else in the movie, but she's one character after watching this time around where I thought, if this was made now, who could be playing her? And then 15, 10 years ago, I would have said Gaga could have played her. But now, like Jenny Slate, something like Jenny Slate, because she's already played this character enough times, little nerdy girl trying to be cool with the glasses. I think she would have worked. But I said, I'm so married to all these characters. And Adrian's been in this. What's interesting is in playing, he's playing a brand new character that didn't exist in, in the first movie, but he he's not unfamiliar with Greece. He played Danny Zuko. Danny Zuko on stage quite a bit. So he seemed like a natural choice. And as I remember, he was up the, you know, the hundreds <laughs> that were being considered for the part before Travolta just says, I want to do that. What I'm going to say in the defense of Adrian Smed is that his character to me seems like they tried to mash Danny Zuko and Kanicki into one character. Yes. It just doesn't work. Right. Then, then it's funny too, because I, I always felt that way. And then when he has his moment with Goose, Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin, this is, his name was Goose. I, I, you have that moment, right? Where you feel like they're going to have that Kanicki and Zuko moment, like when, when they're going to do the, the, the racing for pinks, right? When they're going to have that moment in the first movie. Right. Where like, you can tell these guys are best friends since they were kids. And they kind of allude to that a whole bunch and they kind of hug each other. And then like, Oh, you know, trying to be, we're trying to be cool. You know, we're T-birds. You're starting to see that kind of moment and it never happens. It remember when they're right outside the cafe yeah. that we just talked that moment we talked about earlier with Stephanie and Michael. They have that moment where you can clear that these these two were supposed to be that, but like you said, they they mostly mashed up. They must have done that, and and you know somewhere along the way, I'm I'm wondering if maybe McDonald's character was a little more fleshed out. But this movie already pushes two hours. They couldn't have more interaction with those guys. But it's not about them, right? The, because of the gender reversal in this in the first movie, it's not even about the T birds anyway. Well, I, what I what I would say about this movie is if you if you compare the two movies side by side. It's not about the Pink Ladies or the T-Birds, really. It, right. it, it, there's just so much going, like all the musical numbers, like everybody's involved, right? Right. Like I think, the, I think the cheerleader twins have almost as much screen time as any of the Pink Ladies. Yeah. Honestly, right? And one of the reasons why, and again, we're going to go lean back on reproduction because we didn't, didn't expand on it too much. So much of the first movie, the singing is being done by the Pink Ladies and by the T-Birds and everybody else that sings is just background. Yes. This reproduction, man, there's like, 12 different singers in it. Yeah, man. And it's just they're, every number, they're, they're big ensemble. Yes. True yeah. musical numbers. The the the, uh, the luau number at the end. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing, too, I thought was cool. And you and you see that come full circle, by the way, when you when they do the big show at the end of the movie, before the, the luau, everybody, because they, they were setting it up before the T-Birds had their own thing and the Pink Ladies had their own thing. But when they come together... The T-Birds are involved with the Pink Ladies show. And now it's not just the Pink Ladies. There's other girls that are part of the show. Right. It, it becomes like a full on, that's a real high school musical situation. And and I think that's, one, and, but the whole movie is done like that. Like you talked about, it literally is an entire theatrical production, musical theatrical production being spread out and shown in motion picture format that could have easily been done on stage. Easy. The whole thing could have easily been done on stage. More stage changes, obviously, more set dressing, more set changes. But 
it is that it is very much that. And I probably didn't get that till later on in life when I had more exposure to, to live theater and I'm like, Oh yeah, I get that now. And the things that people criticize for the movie when it came out are the things that make it good and make it unique is the thing you're talking about is the approach they took. It wasn't just a gender swap they were doing. They were swapping the whole idea. This isn't a musical becoming a movie. This is a movie about a musical. And I think that's why it works so well. Right. And that's another thing too that feels fun about it. Not everybody has the vocal prowess of like a Lorna left in this. You know, she's she definitely has pipes. And Michelle Pfeiffer, you get to hear sing later on with the fabulous Baker Boys. And you really get to hear how much her voice matures and how good of a singer she really is. But that's the only reason why the movie feels so much like a true musical is like, not everybody has exceptional voices. And I think that really helps carry the movie. It just feels more grounded. It feels more real. It feels more realistic to me. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, everybody has their solo moments in every musical, you know, you've got the chorus and those big moments are supposed to be hung that way. You know, it's not, it's not supposed to be solo, 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 solo. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. This movie is a lot of fun. Go visit it again. It's, It's really a good time. If you haven't seen it before, like we said with Scary Movie 2, man, judge for yourself, dude. <laughs> Just judge for yourself. We can't recommend that you buy the Blu-ray because my Blu-ray was fine. Yours wasn't. Nope. I, I, we don't, the audio has got some issues. Yeah, man. But if you want to catch it, it's on Tubi right now. So if, I thought for sure it was on Paramount Plus, but it is not. It's on Tubi though. And it looks pretty good. It, it, they're only broadcasting an SD, but it's still widescreen. So that's nice. It certainly sounds better than my Blu-ray. <laughs> and which is weird because I remember when I first got them, because I got them like over a year ago. And it took me about that long to get it to you because of the pandemic. But mine wasn't like that. But was something we noted that I th- we think that Amazon was doing a burn on demand. So, which isn't different to what Warner Archive does. But these were done in two different locations. So I'm questioning the quality between the two of them because mine wasn't like that. But uh, for a friend, I recently purchased it and it was, wasn't was like either one of the ones that we got. So I think this might be done by a more reputable printer. All that aside, <laughs> it's available on Tubi, at least in the United States. Hopefully it's the night that in Canada and other territories. But visit it again, man. It's a good time. It's super fun. The songs, man. The songs are everything when it comes to a musical. Just because you didn't hear them a hundred times in 1978 doesn't mean Michelle they're not. Michelle did. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're not fun. It is. It's a good time. And then you're going to find yourself on Spotify or Apple Music because guess what? That soundtrack is available to stream because it, it's, and it's fucking great. You're going to love it. Yeah. It, it, like I said, if you, if you're so inclined, you should, you know, watch this back to back with Bessel of Horse in Texas. Cause it's, it's, be- I think it's better to watch it back to back with Bessel of Horse in Texas than it is to watch it with Greece. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't pair this and Greece together. Anyway, no, I agree not with even, you. Man. Yeah. No, hell no. No. Cause here's the thing. If you like Greece, you're probably not going to like Greece too. No. If, if you're like that person who's like married to fucking Danny and Sandy and Kanicki and fucking Marty Maraschino and Frenchie and God knows what else. Oh, uh, fuck. I can't remember the rest of the people. It's Sonny and <laughs> fuck. I used to know all of them because I've been in the show once high school. You're not going to like Greece too. No. I don't know anybody who loves Greece that likes Greece too. Right. And to kind of like lean on us a little bit more, and I didn't mean, and I'm usually really good about mentioning the writer. Ken Finkelman is the writer of this. Um, he was the original credit screenwriter. 
He also wrote Airplane 2, speaking of sequels, but he also wrote Head Office. And we talked, we've talked about Head Office before. Mm-hmm. And that's a fun little Judge Reinhold movie. Danny DeVito and all kinds of people yeah. in that movie, man. You could watch this with either one of those movies. Yeah. Illegally Yours is also his. Peter Bogdanovich, man. That's that's not <laughs> it's no that's not a small movie right there. That's Rob Lowe and Colleen Camp, guys. And he did he did a whole bunch of television after that too. He's a fun writer, but it kind of gives you the I mentioned those other movies to kind of let you know the tone of this movie being as if we can already describe it for you how different it is. Yeah, it's got more in common with pink flamingos than it has with Greece. Yes, one hundred percent. It's like that John Waters musical you never got. Right. I think so too. And that's another thing too. I mean, Crater Face, Hatchet Face. I mean, yeah. come on. Considering when Crybaby's supposed to take place, how how are those two not supposed to live in the same world? Because that's how I think they are, you know? Tab Hunter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there's there's my pairing. Crybaby, Grease 2. Yeah, perfect. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can follow us at Karate Pod. Or if you want to follow Corey on Letterboxd, that's Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. That's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at... Craterface at letterboxd.com. That's craterface at letterboxd.com. I wonder who really is Craterface. I don't know. Somebody's got to be. <laughs> I'm still under Tom Cody. Tom <laughs> Cody. There you go. At Letterboxd. Craterface. Craterface.